0: Good morning. Good morning. Joe said it in his prayer. And again, it's Brad's fault. Uh, I haven't gotten out of my head for a long time. The ecclesia, we we are the called out ones. We are radically different from the world. We don't belong here anymore. Um, And we will be gone shortly. Praise God. Uh, we have some work to do in the interim, and uh, so that's part of what the sermon is about. This morning, we, uh, we've been talking the last couple of weeks that true believers, we are not lawgivers. Um, we don't give grudgingly or under compulsion, 2 Corinthians 9. True believers learn how to, and we desire to give like David. You may remember... The Old Testament reference, uh, 1 Chronicles 29, David says, I give with all of my ability and all my delight. So to me, this is the challenge for the New Testament Testament believer. Are you giving with all your ability and with all your delight? Is is it your great pleasure to bring a worthy offering to God? I mean, this is always the test. Whether you're a man of small means or uh, a great means, that's beside the point. Will you bring a worthy offering to your Creator and I trust your Redeemer. You may remember (laughs) the the, the account there in Exodus 35 and 36 where the Jews had to be restrained. They were bringing too much. They loved Him too much. They They were worshiping with a full heart. You may remember it said a stirred heart, a full heart, a stirred spirit, a moved spirit. You couldn't stop them from bringing a worthy offering to God. And we've talked a little bit about some of these things. We understand that our money is not about our money. What's it about? We talked about it last week. What's it about? It's about God. It's always about God. Your money is always about God. Oh, guess what? Because it's not your money. It's His money. I heard one, I heard one preacher say one time, he said, we're squatters. We're just squatters. It's all His. You're a squatter. I'm a squatter. It's His. How can you not bring him a worthy offering? It's his. Amen. It is his. Our practice in giving is a pristine reflection on our view of God. And really, the world and ourselves. I shared this with you a week or two ago, John MacArthur. I love this quote. I think it's true. It's convicting, but it's true. The credibility of your Christianity is at stake in handling your money. I know most uh, professed Christians don't like to think about it that way, but I think he's right on in that regard. So why can we be radical givers? We talked about it. Why can we be radical in, in our giving? Because Yahweh is Yahweh, right? It's the, it's the Abraham thing, the, the, the Jehovah Jireh thing, right? God called Abraham to bring a sacrificial offering, and God gave it back and provided the lamb, right? (laughs) There's a ram in the bush. There's always always a ram in the bush. So we can give radically. We can be open-handed with God. We don't have to worry about things like the rest of the world. We talked a lot about that last week. We don't have to be anxious. We can be generous. And we can emulate David. We can give with all our ability and all our delight. It's what a healthy church looks like a bunch of folks bullish on the kingdom. So, this fits in with our macro series of sermons. In the last few sermons, I've mentioned stewardship a number of times. It seemed wise and good to take a little deeper look into what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about stewardship. Obviously, it's not just money, as we've emphasized the last few weeks. How I many of you read John Piper's book, Don't Waste Your Life? Uh, don't read it. I, this is the warning. Don't read it unless you, unless you want to be changed. If you're comfortable in your Christianity, you don't want to read this book. But if you want to grow, you want to move on, you want to go to the next place, this would be a good book to read. We, we gave it out in Milan. Uh, we used to have a book table. We just gave everything away. And... Uh, this, this one popped off the table really fast. And a lot of young people, I had a number of young people from different places in the world tell me that their lives were changed by what God did through this book. Don't waste your life. Uh, we gave, that's what Karen and I gave to the grads. Um, because you know what? It's easy to waste your life. It's the easiest thing in the world. Is to waste your life. There are two tr- true stories in this book, and I'm going to relay them to you as part of how I want to begin this morning. And, and it's, it's, I love God's sovereignty, right? This is a perfect sermon for, for, the, for the grads. It's a perfect sermon for them. You know, the alternate title could be, How Not to Waste Your Life. How Not to Waste Your Life could have been the alternate title here. God used this book tremendously in my life and I think in Karen's as well. So these two true stories. First story. April 2000, Ruby Eliason and Laura Edwards were killed in West Africa. Both were in their 80s. They poured their lives into making Jesus known among the unreached peoples in that area as they also provided medical care for them. One day, as they were making the rounds, the brakes failed on their car, and the car went over a cliff, and they were both killed instantly. Second story. February 1998, Piper got this out of a Reader's Digest. The Joneses, a couple from the Northeast, took early retirement at age 59 and 51, and they moved to Florida, and they fill up their days sailing, playing softball, and collecting seashells. Now, the the overriding question here is, which one of these is the real tragedy? Which one of these accounts represents the true tragedy, the ultimate tragedy, the final tragedy? That's the question. And this is not a trick question. (laughs) It's not a trick question. It's a question that reveals our perspective on our stewardship before God. With all that he has entrusted to us as professed Christians, just what is most important in your life? Just what is most important? So I'll ask you. Are you taking the long view or the short view? Long view being, obviously, we're looking at eternity. It's what we look at on a daily basis. It informs informs everything I do. I'm looking at the beam of seat. I'm looking at the day when I will look my Lord and Savior, creator, redeemer, in the eye. I will look him in the eye. I point at that. That's the long view. That's the eternal view. Of course, you know what the short view is. I'm just living for myself. And all the, you know, what is it? Minimizing pain, maximizing pleasure. It's all about Jim. That's the short view, obviously. So which story is the tragedy? I think if you stopped a thousand people on the street and you recounted those two stories to them, 999 of them would tell you that the missionaries going over the cliff was a tragedy, was the primary tragedy. But if you, if you hit one Christian, one born-again lover of Christ, one who understands when Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, if you find one of those guys, they're going to immediately know what the true tragedy is. It's just living for self, right? It's just living for self. Listen to Piper's words about... Ruby and Laura's life and death. These two lives were driven by one great passion, namely to be spent in unheralded service to the perishing poor for the glory of Christ. Even two decades after most of their American counterparts had retired to throw away their lives on trifles, I love this, trifles, their lives and deaths were not a tragedy, they were a glory. Then Piper comments on the second story about the Joneses. He says, yeah, come to the end of your life, your one and only precious God-given life, and let the last great work of your life before you give an account to your Creator be this. I'm playing softball and collecting shells. Picture this couple before Christ at the judgment seat. Look, Lord, see my shells? Then he writes, that is a tragedy. It's the American dream it's a tragedy if we're gonna take the long view here two qualifications on these stories just wanna make this clear you don't have to be a missionary I'm not that's not the point you don't have to be a vocational missionary I mean, we're all missionaries but we're not all vocational missionaries you don't waste your life you know if you're not a career missionary if you're if you're glorifying Christ as a mother As a carpenter, as a nurse, or an accountant, it doesn't matter. That's not the point. You don't have to be a vocational missionary. That's not the point. I don't want you to misunderstand me. Retiring from your life's work is not wrong. It's not wrong. It can be a great gift from God. Retirement's not the problem. It's what you do with it. So I just want to make sure we understand that what these illustrations ultimately, ultimately highlight is our perspective on who God is and who we are, right? As we take the long view or the short view, the balls in your court, you decide what you will do with the life that God has given you. We saw it last week. Jesus warned about the short view, Matthew 6, 19 to 20. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. It's always about stewardship before God. Always. Every time the true gospel is correctly preached, it is an exhortation to take the long view. That's why I preach the way I preach. I, you know, it's real to me. It's real to me. And as we've talked about the last few weeks, sometimes I can almost see it and taste it. And I think that's urgent for us. If, 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 that's, not, if that's not real for us, then we need to work on that. You know, we need to understand what Paul's talking about. What does he mean it's gain? What does that mean? It means everything. It means everything here is passing away. You don't get to keep any of it. But what you lay up in heaven will be waiting for you. Sounds like a fairy tale. Right? But it's true. Jesus said it. Now you can discount him if you like. Jesus said it. Lay up treasures in heaven full stop. Everything else comes after that. Seek ye first the kingdom of God? We saw last week, right? He says, I'll take care of the rest. So, beloved, I I don't want you to be earthbound in your thinking or your living. God says it many different ways in the Scripture that the vast majority of our existence will be after our physical death. I said it last week. We're We're on the edge of eternity, Always on the edge of eternity. Every moment we're on the edge of eternity. And the Bible is clear after our physical death, we will exist somewhere, either eternally in heaven or eternally in hell. Now, there's no middle place. Now, if you can find a middle place in your Bible, you come tell me, but I know you can't. There's no middle place. We're headed into eternity real fast. And the question is are you preparing? Are you sending forth, right? Are you, are you sending your treasures f- forward? Are you sending it forward? You know, Jesus is pretty clear. It's that definitive text that delineates eternal heaven from eternal conscious punishment in hell. Um, Matthew twenty-five forty-six. Jesus says it right there in one verse. There'll be eternal punishment and or, or eternal life. You can't run from that text. You know, those who want to discount the the teaching of eternal condemnation, uh, you you can't run from it. You can't run from that text. Jesus is very, very clear about what he is saying. So this is the indisputable message of the Bible. Many false teachers want to discount that. They want to talk about annihilationism. They want to talk about universalism. Well, the problem with that is if you talk like that, if you teach like that, you're calling Christ a liar. Or or in the very least you're saying he's an incompetent theologian and he doesn't know what he's talking about. Jesus is the one that talks about eternal conscious punishment more than anyone else. So you're going to live for this life or the next. You know... This is not rocket science. It's just not. It's not that difficult. We are immortal beings. The question for each one of us today is, are we laying up treasures upon the earth or in heaven? As you know, Jesus has not only saved us from the just condemnation uh, that we deserve He set us free to live a huge life now, right? It's not just that we're saved in the future. Man, we're freed up. You know, the the chains are gone. We're no longer slaves to sin. We, We can live a huge life of faith. We can glorify God. We can store up massive treasures in heaven. He set us free to do that. Incredibly, God is doing more still. And that's what we want to talk about this morning. Not only has He saved us eternally and given us meaningful temporal lives, He is offering eternal reward for every good steward. He's going to, I've always been astonished, He's going to reward us for. What He has redeemed us and empowered us to do. He's doing all the heavy lifting. I mean, any, any good preacher worth his salt will tell you, we, we know the Lord's doing all the heavy lifting. I, I'm, just, I'm a small issue to any of this. He's doing all the heavy lifting. Oh, and, I'll, and God says, I'll reward you for whatever meager thing you do. Right? It's just astonishing. It's, it's really... Breathtaking. He's offering eternal reward to all who are good stewards of their physical and spiritual endowments granted and the material resources given. God's serious about this for us. Jesus is pretty serious about it. We're going to look at a couple of these parables here in just a moment. God expects his children to lay up treasure in heaven. And if you're not consciously doing that, I I would submit that you have every reason to question where you are with the living God. I mean, this is just kind of a fundamental issue, right? It's a fundamental issue. God says, I will reward your socks off. That's what we're going to see in the parables. It's, it doesn't always come down to this. <laughs> do we believe him or not? It always comes down to that. And I love that Luke 19. You heard Joe read the text. It's always, it's always resonated in my heart and it just, it just rings in my ears. That, that Luke 19:13. he says, Jesus says, do business with this until I come back. Now, could it be any, any more clear? I love that, doing business. You know, that could have been the title of the sermon, too. Are you doing business? Are you doing business? That's why you're here. It'd be very much better to go. You're only here to do business. You've been left here to do business. There's no other good reason for you to be here. It'd be very much better to be with Christ. The only reason he left you here is to do business. And you will give an accounting to... The master. Uh, one of the things I wrote in the books for the, for the grads uh, which I got out of this book. It's, it's Piper. It's a quote that he quotes from Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards, when he was in his 20s, he wrote 70 resolutions uh, by which he would live. I love number 22. Resolved. To endeavor to obtain for myself as much happiness in the other world as I possibly can. When was the last time you had a thought like that? Right? With all, listen to this. With all the power, might, vigor, and vehemence I am capable of, or can bring myself to exert in any way that can be thought of. <laughs> now, this is a steward. This is a guy who understood about his stewardship. Edwards's worldview dominated his heaven view. He was serious about laying up treasures in heaven. You guys know Colossians three one and two. We've talked about it the last couple of weeks. This command of God to seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on the earth. So I'm going to ask you, as, I, as I've asked you the last couple of weeks, are you obeying this? Are you obeying this? Are you really, do you really almost, almost have one foot in eternity? Is that how you think? Is that how you process life? Right? I think this is God's invitation. May, I, I, you know, he doesn't say it like this, but I, I sense that you know, God could easily say, the Holy Spirit could easily say, you got to get one foot over. And then think about life. Because if you get one foot over, then you can process things the way God talks about. If it's, if it's you know, theoretical to you, if it's academic to you, you can't, you can't walk with Christ. You can't. But if it's real to you, you will deny yourself, you will pick up your cross, and you will follow Him. You will. You'll be so hopelessly in love with Him that you. Will. So a steward, we know what it is, just, just uh, for definition's sake. A person who manages another's property, finances, or affairs. God is the sole proprietor of everything upon the earth, including everything you think that you own. God gives us physical, spiritual life. He gives us gifts and talents and money and wealth. Mental and physical capacities, etc., etc., that we hold as stewards. You know, every brainwave is a stewardship. In one sense, so let's see how our stewardship of our temporal endowments and resources. And here, I want you to get this. I think you already know it, but let me. I want you to get this how our stewardship of our temporal endowments and resources, how that governs and defines and determines the parameters, scope, dimensions, and proportions of our eternity. Some of you are not thinking like this. You haven't made the, you haven't, you're not connecting the dots. You're not thinking like this. That what I'm doing here actually ripples forever. It ripples Forever. So as we seek to better understand our stewardship before God and the rewards He's promised to those who are serious about doing business, we'll look at the parable of the minas, Luke 19, we'll start there. You can go ahead and turn to Luke 19 if you like, and the parable of the talents, Matthew 25. We'll take a quick look at both of these. So what's compelling about these stories is that everybody's in them, whether you love Christ or hate Christ, everybody's in them, right? Right? Whether you're destined for heaven or you're destined for hell, you're in here. You're in this story. You're in these stories. So that's an interesting side note. I'm not going to develop all the aspects. I don't have time of these parables. What what I want to talk about is to concentrate on your stewardship before God and the reward God has promised to his good stewards and the loss associated with being unfaithful. This is what I want to focus on. Luke 19, beginning in 12. And the context here yeah, Jesus is talking, and he says, A certain nobleman went to a distant country, in verse 12, Luke 19, to receive a kingdom for himself and then return. And he called the, the ten of his slaves and gave them ten minas, and he said to them, Do business. With this until I come back. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. Verse 15. And it came about that when he returned after re- receiving the kingdom, he ordered that the slaves to whom he had given the money be called to him in order that he might know what business they had done. The accounting is coming. It's coming. The master is going to examine what you have done with your stewardship. Verse 16, the first appeared saying, Master, your mina. Sorry, that's a, sometimes I revert to the Italian. Um, An I is a, is an E in in Italy. I'll try to say it properly. Your mina has made 10 minas more. And he said to him, Well, well done, good slave, because you have been faithful in a very little. Be in authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Your mina, master, has made five minas. And he said to him also, And you are to be over five cities. So the Creator God is dispensing eternal opportunities of life itself. Did you notice? Each one received one Mina. Now, the parable of the talents, they get, they get the talents based on their ability. This is, everybody's equal here. Everybody's getting, you know, and, and I think it's right. I think one theologian talks about the fact that this, is again, is the opportunity that we, we each have with the life that we've been given. The life and the individual endowments that we have been given. It's interesting, the Greek word here Uh, for do business is, um, for business is pragma. Pragma, which which, which means which we get our English word pragmatic. So this is to be real. This is hands-on, right? This is everyday stuff. That's what this is about. This is not theoretical. This is not religious. This is how you live your life. Are you doing business with your life? This is what is being said here. So Jesus will call for an accounting. Did they profit the kingdom of God, or were they holy and simply invested in themselves? The first slave here, verse 16, he was given one, but he earned ten. And I love the way he talks. Notice that he gave glory to God. He said, Master, your mina made ten more. He, he, He understands that there's no spiritual fruit apart from the work of God. You know you know it's it's like we as a minister for twenty years, whatever it's been now forty years really it's like you realize that you work and you do your thing, but in any fruit that comes it's just God, right it's just God, <laughs> you know it's just God he's doing all the heavy lifting so God entrusted this servant with the equivalent of three months' wages. A, a, a mina is, is, is just a measure of money. And so he was given three months' wages. And I want you to see how extraordinarily generous God is in his lavish reward, okay? God entrusted the, servants, the servant with three months' wages, and he got a tenfold return. He was a good steward. He got, he got 30 months' wages. This is nothing to God. 30 months' wages is nothing to God. It's nothing to God. But look, what he, look how God rewards him. 30 months wages? <laughs> he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. It's nothing. He owns the whole cosmos. It's nothing. But look how, God, look how gracious and generous God is. Look how disproportionate God's reward is to the servants' efforts. Verse 17, God said, be in authority over ten cities. Right? And in our context, as New Testament believers, <laughs> forever... That's our reward forever. I return the kingdom 30 months wages. Oh, rule over 10 cities forever. I just want you to see how disproportionate and how lavish God's rewards are to His good stewards. I love that verse 17, right? You have been faithful in what? A very little thing (laughs) so are you being faithful with the very little thing that God has entrusted you with God's proportionality, uh, it extends here to the second servant in in accordance with this servant's diligence. He had a five-fold increase. God put him over five cities. Again, I want you to see how your faithfulness here ripples forever to your good, right? It ripples forever to your good. Your earthly stewardship will determine the parameters, dimensions, and scope of your eternity, We are saved by grace, the grace of God. We don't earn it. That's the clear teaching of the Bible. But our rewards are based upon our stewardship and works. That's the clear teaching of the Bible. Many professing Christians do not seem to take God seriously at this point. They don't think God's really bothered about how I'm using the gifts and talents and endowments and even the life that I've been given. They, 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 it's not in their calculus that, that it's something that, that God is interested in. Of course, the biblically literate person knows better. And I've run into this too. You know, many, they think that if God's going to reward, well, it's just going to be some generic, general reward, and everybody's going to get the same reward, and everybody's in heaven. This is wrong. Ten cities, five cities. You know, to me, it's a telltale sign of whether we believe the word of God and we're excited about it or it's just another Sunday school sermon to me. Right. Now, Ruby, Laura and Jonathan Edwards, they got this Longview thing right. They set their sights on the things above and they did God's business. They were pointing at the bema seat. They were bullish on the, on the kingdom. The Joneses, the early retirement couple, they got it completely wrong. They were completely indifferent to the gift of life and all the prosperity God poured, in, poured through them. They were completely indifferent about this. They played softball and collected shells. Hey, there's nothing wrong with softball and shells, but if that's the focus of your last 20 years, you got a huge problem before God. This next servant in the parable reveals this kind of utter disregard, like the Joneses, this utter disregard for what God has given and what God expects. Verse 20 here. Luke 19, another came saying, Master, behold, you're mina, which I kept, uh, which I kept put away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you because you're an exacting man. You take what you did not lay down and reap what you did not sow. And the master said, you worthless slave. You knew I was an exacting man. Verse 23, why did you not put the money in the bank and I would have collected my interest? Verse 24, take the mina away from him and give it to one who has ten. And they said to him, Master, he already has ten. (laughs) Here it is. Verse 26, I tell you that everyone who has more shall be given. It's almost like the rewards never stop. Well, we know the joy never stops. The thrill never stops. The the, the fact that God is continually disclosing Himself to us for a billion eternities, this never stops. And He's the great reward. Ten cities, okay, that sounds great, but hey, I get to look at Christ. And I get to plumb the depths of his, His genius and His brilliance and His love forever. I get to do that. That's the reward, man. Ten cities? Okay, I'm going to delegate. I want to go look at God. Right? I want to look at God. He said, at least you could have put it in the bank. Listen to, again, verse 26. Everyone who has shall be given more, but... From the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. The unbeliever or the pseudo-Christian, same thing. They will lose everything. Forever. Everything. You know, we come in here this, this is all. this is serious stuff. You know, I detest these preachers who've got five jokes, a poem, and a gripping story. These guys are in big trouble, right? They'll be in accounting. Yeah, they made people laugh and gave them a good time. And never made them stop and think. You know, I keep saying this to you, but it's true. You have to reckon with the magnitude that God is God. Not only that, If you call yourself a Christian, you have to reckon with the magnitude of what it means to be a steward before this God. Man, I just get, I just, yeah. So much superficiality in what is called Christianity in America today. Yeah, there'll be no reward for the lukewarm. There will be only eternal loss. Only eternal Loss. So let's quickly look at uh, Matthew 25. Turn with me if you would, Matthew 25. The parable of the talents. The context is the end times, as I'm sure you're aware. Picking up here in verse 14 and 15. For it, this is the kingdom of heaven. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and another one each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey, each according to his own ability. It's a great story. You guys know Luke twelve forty eight. This is a picture of spiritual capacity, right? Spiritual ability. And I think I think likely part of what this is talking about is greater access to the Word of God. You know, those who have access to the Word of God like us, man, we are really accountable. We have the truth. We know everything He ever said that mattered in the Bible. Talk about accountability. Luke 12 48, to whom much is given, much is required. So no matter if you're a five-talent guy, John MacArthur, again, talent is just a sum of money. It's a measure of money. Um, Or if you're a one-talent guy, God will be looking. For MacArthur, he's looking for a five-talent return. For me, he's looking for a one. I'm not responsible, right? I'm according to my ability. I'm not a five-talent guy. I'm a one-talent guy. And I'm responsible for what I do. With that one talent, those verses 19 and 20. And then verse 21, right? There it is. A master said to him, well done, good and faithful slave. You, have faith, you, you were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So there it is. <laughs> there it is. You know, we got to be bullish on the kingdom. We have got to be. We're not real believers if we're not. I think we're just mere church members. So the lesson here is, the lesson here is God will be looking for a return on the abilities that he has entrusted to you. That's very simple, I think, and understandable. Verses 24 to 30, real quick. He's dealing with, this, he's dealing with this, uh, unfaithful, this unfaithful steward. Verse 25, I hid it. Verse 26, you're a wicked, lazy slave. You should have put the money in the bank. Verse 27. Verse 28, take him away. Take, what, take the talent from him and give it to the guy with ten. For to everyone who has shall more be given, and he shall have an abundance, but from the one who does not have any spiritual fruit, even what he does have shall be taken from him. Verse 30, cast him into hell. Right? This is where the, this is where the unfaithful steward goes. He goes to hell. He never cared one whit for what God told him to do. It never bothered him in the least what he was doing with his life and his possessions and his intellect. You know, I watch these big stars sing their songs. I'm thinking, man, wouldn't it have been nice if you decide to sing that to God instead of making a pile of money? Beloved, there's a lot at stake here. There's a lot at stake here. Are you hearing God this morning? God is exhorting us to take the long view. It's up to you. Ball's in your court. Ball is in your court. Amazingly, God is telling us by our obedience and faithful stewardship upon the earth, we will be rewarded forever, all out of proportion to our efforts. It's why the Jones retirement story was the consummate tragedy. It's like the guy who put his mind in a handkerchief, the guy who buried his talent. I think I picked this up from Piper. I think it's in the book I gave to the young adults, the uh, grads. Man, you have got to fight against God neglect. If you're guilty of God neglect, you have a lot of work to do. You need to, you, you, you got to fight against God neglect. And you got to fight against stewardship neglect. This matters. It's important stuff. This is real world in here. I'm not going to tickle your ears, and you can send me on my way anytime you want. But I'm going to challenge you every time you come in here. Because too much is at stake. And eternities we're staring it in the face. And we we just going about our business like it doesn't really matter. I'll just live like everybody else. I make decisions like everybody else. This makes me crazy, especially when I find it in myself. So, beloved, you're breathing his air, you're eating his food. You can ignore and reject him if you wish, but you will give an account, and there will be consequences. You will account to him on how you spent your life, the minor, and how you invested your resources and abilities, your talents, whether selfishly or for the kingdom of God. God, can you imagine Ruby and Laura, the missionaries? Can you imagine their homecoming? Okay, <laughs> you know, we know that for the Christian death, it's just, it's just like, okay, I'm, I, uh, it's a blink of the eye and bam, I'm looking at the master, right? I'm looking at my creator. Can you imagine the homecoming? Don't you want a homecoming like that? I'm not telling you have to be a missionary. It's not the point. They wake up, or not wake up, but they open their eyes and there's Christ with His huge and incandescent smile. Well done! Man, I want that. And i got a lot of work to do. I want that. That's got to be real to us. It's got to be real to us. You know what God says over in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 through 15. Let me just read it to you real quick. But let each man be careful how he builds upon the foundation of Christ. Now, if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each man's work will become evident, for the last day will show the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built upon Jesus remains, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet as through fire. Now, that's in the context of true Christianity in the context of being a true believer. I saw this week in my preparation, Romans fourteen twelve. Paul says, each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. So, beloved, God has called you to be radical in your stewardship. He's called us to point at the bema seat. He expects that our heaven view will dominate our world view. He expects us to do business with what he has entrusted to us. He expects us to be bullish on the kingdom. He expects us to invest heavily in it. He is serious about the future. In, uh, the, the, true, the true steward is serious about the, the, the future encounter with, with Christ. We know it's coming. He's told us it's coming. Of course it's coming. Matthew 25, 23. I pray that each one of us in this room will hear these words. Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray together.